Well, thank you, Brian. And it is um, a delight to be here with you all at the um, Bethany Church. Here in Fresno, um, I work with an organization called Jews for Jesus, and we're, we're missionaries, really, to bring the gospel to our own Jewish people around the world. And if you know something about Jewish people, you know that we're not raised to embrace Jesus. We're raised really to say no to him, and we're taught from the time you know, we're kids that, that if you become a Christian, you're no longer Jewish. We're taught that if you become a Christian, you become a traitor to your people. And uh, none of those are true, but that's what we learn uh, growing up. And you really see this if you were ever to uh, join us when we're out handing out gospel literature in places like San Francisco or New York City. And sometimes a Jewish person will come along and they'll say something like, you should be ashamed of yourself for believing in Jesus. Or, I used to get this a lot, does your mother know you're doing this? (laughs) But more and more we get the kind of question we really want to answer, and that is, how can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? How does it fit together? And this morning we're going to see Um, Another way that the gospel is shown, not through a piece of literature, but through the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at one of the the Jewish holidays, excuse me, one of the Jewish holidays that God gave to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And the thing is this, what God wrote in the Old Testament was not only for the Jewish people but it really applies to our Christian experience today. And the more we we can understand the Old Testament and the more we can can study it and benefit from it, the more we can see what it means for us to be followers of Christ today. The um, Old Testament has a number of different holidays that God gave to the nation of Israel, which are still celebrated today. So, uh, yeah, if we can get <coughs> excuse me, the first slide going there. Yeah, and um, so we're going to be specifically looking at a holiday that in Hebrew is called Shavuot, but we might know it better as Pentecost, which especially appears in Acts chapter 2. But it all has its roots in the Old Testament. And next. Okay, so the book of Leviticus is a book that gives us, in chapter 23, several of the different holidays that God gave to the nation of Israel. This holiday is in 23.9. The Lord says to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, Bring to the priest a a sheaf of the first grain you harvest, which would have been barley in those days. And he is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. And continuing, you must not eat any bread, roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God It's to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And the passage continues. And the passage continues. 
from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, <coughs> count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days, about seven weeks, up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present another offering of new grain to the Lord. This time it's wheat. Uh, seven weeks later, a new crop. And forever, wherever you live, bring two loaves of, made of two-tenths of an ephah, fine flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Uh, keep that word first fruits in mind. That's going to be uh, important in a little while. Um, but the idea, well, first of all, because you count off seven weeks, we call the holiday Shavuot, which means in Hebrew, weeks. Exciting name, right? And the name Pentecost, the same holiday, is the Greek word that means 50. So, Shavuot and Pentecost. Uh, What do we have on the next slide there? Okay, good. Um, Yeah, that's my placeholder when it's blank. So, to understand what's going on in this holiday, you have to kind of step back a bit. The whole history of of the nation of Israel leads up to this holiday because if you remember um, the events of the book of Exodus, that's where it really all starts. Um, If you saw the movie The Ten Commandments or you saw the movie uh, The Prince of Egypt or even if you've read your Bible, it's in there too, you know what happened with the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. We were slaves for 400 years to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. We cried out to God to deliver us, and he sent Charlton Heston to confront Pharaoh, (laughs) though we usually know him better by his Hebrew name of Moses. But he went to Pharaoh with the message from God, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God had to send ten plagues of judgment onto Egypt. The last plague was the death of their firstborn, the only way that Israel could escape was by putting the blood of a lamb on their doorposts in obedience to God's instructions. And then God redeemed Israel from slavery and brought them into the promised land. And it should have been about a, about a two-week a two trip to get from Egypt into the land of Israel, but instead it took 40 years, if you remember the story, Forty years wandering around in the wilderness uh, because we, we rebelled against God. We, um, we just rejected him. It was a real learning curve spiritually for the nation of Israel. Can I see the next slide there? Yeah. So really what this whole thing is, leading up to the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, is you have to follow the journey of Israel from slavery in Egypt, wandering around in the desert while God still provides for us, but he's chastising us for our sins, and finally making it into the promised land. Here's what I want to tell you about uh, the holiday of Shavuot, or Pentecost today. This holiday is going to tell us three things. It's going to tell us where we've been. It's going to tell us where we are. It's going to tell us where we're going where we've been, where we are, where we're going. It's not just the story of Israel. Israel's journey 
is a reflection and a foreshadowing of our journey as Christians here today. Just like Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, the New Testament tells us that we have come out of slavery to sin. And just like we came into the promised land, God tells us that we have a heavenly home, an inheritance waiting ahead for us. Israel's journey reminds us that we have come on a journey also as Christians here today. Some of you may have been raised in a Christian home. You don't remember a time when you didn't know the Lord. Some of you came to faith later in life. Some of you may still be here en route to faith. We all have a journey. Think of it as Israel's testimony. You know, when that, when that feast of, of weeks came about in the Old Testament, there, there's one ceremony that's related for us in, in the book of Deuteronomy where the worshiper actually, as he brings the first of the crops to the Lord, he actually has to recite the testimony, the story of Israel's journey. We used to be here, but God brought us here. You know, my story is probably a little different than yours. I was raised in a Reformed Jewish home in Brooklyn, New York. Being from Brooklyn meant two things. It meant that, number one, the wildest animal I ever saw growing up was a pigeon. (laughs) And number two, um, New Yorkers yell at each other to express their friendliness. But our home was not very... uh, very religious. We were culturally Jewish, but God was not really on the radar for most of my family members, except maybe my grandfather. And here's the thing to know about Jewish people today, and that is, we're open to exploring any spirituality except for Jesus. He's still the big no for most Jews. But anything else is acceptable, because we're kind of secular these days. We're not We're not religious like we were a hundred years ago. And, you know, come to San Francisco, you'll find lots of Jewish people involved in Buddhism. I'm not kidding you. They're called Jubus. There are books about this. Any spirituality is okay to explore, but not Jesus. Well, in high school and college, I really wanted to be exploring stuff. I wanted to know what was life about, why am I here, what's it all for? And I began to explore um, all sorts of things, a clairvoyant named Edgar Cayce, uh, Eastern religions, um, New Age stuff. At one point, I really uh, bought a book called 500 Ways People Can Grow, with everything in alphabetical order from astrology to Zen Buddhism. And I was flipping through this book and finally got to the why section for yoga and decided maybe I could find God through practicing yoga. And I, I very quickly I realized I couldn't twist into all those positions that the pictures were showing me. And, and I, I worried that maybe salvation was only for flexible people. <laughs> and uh, it was terrible. But I, uh, finally, uh, I met a Christian on my campus, uh, Syracuse University, upstate New York. We argued for nine months. But because of my New Age explorations, I was sort of open to Jesus, not just the Jesus of the church, not the Jesus of the Bible, but a kind of counterfeit Jesus. But nine months later, uh, my journey ended when I put my faith in the Jesus as we know him in the scriptures. 
And long story short, um, I came to realize what it really meant to be Jewish, um, to be the kind of person that follows Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah. And you have a journey also. And Israel had a journey. And whenever we look at this holiday of Pentecost, remember there's a backstory. First, we were slaves, then we were redeemed, then we were enabled to come into the promised land where God made us his people, and then we could worship him. And the way we worshiped was by offering the first of our crops back to him. There's a whole backstory, a whole sweep of a journey going on there. Next slide. And what we notice is that during Israel's journey, God provided for everything they needed, even in the midst of their rebellion. He was a God of love. He provided in the desert the miraculous food that came down from heaven every day that they called manna. He provided our clothing. There's a verse that says, even the sandals on your feet didn't wear out the whole time you wandered in the wilderness. And he provided our shelter There's a verse that says, the whole time you wandered in the wilderness, I made you live in booths. doesn't give us the details, but he provided our shelter. He provided booths. I don't know if you ever sing this chorus. There's a chorus called Jehovah Jireh. The uh, Old Testament name of uh, God that means uh, the Lord our provider, Adonai Yireh in Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, when you kind of put it into English. And I like this chorus because it's in Hebrew and English, and you have to kind of make, make both parts rhyme. You have to kind of sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and just make it all fit together like that so you get a good song out of it. But what a wonderful thing uh, to know that God has been our provider on our journey. Okay, next slide. And next. Okay. Now we're going to move from the Old Testament to the same holiday in the New Testament. And there's an awful lot we could say about it in the New Testament, but I'm going to hone in on one thing in particular, and that is something that God would like from us today, our present lives, not our past journey, but where we are right now, and the difference we can make in the lives of others. Acts chapter 2, we know the story, that the disciples were gathered, in Jerusalem, and there were tongues of flame that appeared over their heads, it says in Acts 2. Set the stage a little bit. This was the holiday when um, you would have hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Jewish people coming from around the Roman Empire to Jerusalem, one of three times a year when everybody just showed up. And you came bearing the the fruits of your crops, loaded up on oxen and you were bringing it to the temple and you were going to give it to the Lord and there's going to be a lot of celebration. And so you had big crowds of people in Jerusalem who were seeing the disciples with those tongues of fire over their heads. And it says also in Acts 2 there was a a sound like uh, like a, a, a rushing sound of a wind. And then the apostles began to speak and the Jewish people gathered there from every different nation. What do you know? They hear the apostles in their own languages. Except for a few who didn't quite get it. And said, ah, they're just babbling and they're drunk. And then, of course, Peter said to that, um, good old Peter, 
essentially, he said, what are you talking about? It's nine in the morning. The pubs aren't even open. Uh, these guys are not drunk. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit. But most people heard that. What's this got to do with proclaiming the gospel? Um, let's see the next slide there. Okay, so, you know, God always wants to speak to people where they are at. When the gospel goes out, there's got to be a connection made between what's on people's minds, hearts, what their concerns are. You know, when Jesus told his parables, he was honing in on what people knew in their daily life. They, they were worried about lost sheep. They were worried about their lost coins. Sometimes a, a son that would run off. And, and, and Jesus always made this connection with what people knew. I think the same thing's happening here in Acts 2. Because what would have been on the minds of all those Jewish people coming to Jerusalem that day? One thing might have been this. There was an old legend Don't look for this in the Bible. It's a legend. It's not in the Bible. But Jewish people, we like folklore. We like legends. We like stories. There's a story about the 70 nations of the world. When God first gave his law to Israel in Exodus on Mount Sinai, when he spoke his word, before he gave it to Israel, the legend says, he offered it to all the other nations of the world in their own languages. And they all turned it down except for Israel. And that's why Israel has the law. Well, don't look for that in your Bible. But, what if that was on the minds of the people that day in Jerusalem? Could it be that as they all heard the apostles speaking in their own language, they were reminded of a legend like this, that they knew. And perhaps some of them got to thinking, wait a second, We're seeing tons of fire like the lightning that was around Mount Sinai. We're hearing a loud rushing wind like there was thunder at Mount Sinai. And just like everybody heard the law of Moses in their own language, now we're all hearing these people speak in our own languages too. Could it be that there's a new revelation from the Lord? Could it be that there's something we're supposed to listen to that's as important as what God gave at Mount Sinai? Could this be a new moment in history? What's going on here? And indeed, it was a new moment in history. And I think God just well may have been taking what the people knew, that legend, and saying, you have a legend? Okay, it's going to come to life today. Now you better listen. And God communicated through what the people knew. Next slide. Yeah, this is just the, um, just the, the uh, text from Acts chapter 2. And, um, of course, you, what it says here, a little further down there, is are not all these men who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And they were bewildered. Uh, but I bet some of them got to thinking. Next slide, please. And the apostles like Jesus, always took the opportunity to make that connection. The next slide will show us uh, another connection that was being made. Now, here is the traditional location in Jerusalem of the tomb of King David, the Old Testament king, a Keho David HaMelech, King David's tomb. Well, what do you know? There was another tradition associated with this holiday of 
Pentecost, Shavuot. And that tradition said, guess what? King David was born and died on Pentecost. And so what is it that Peter starts preaching? I think we may have his text on the next slide there. Still Acts chapter 2. Now Peter's making a different kind of connection. Brothers, he says, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. Because that was the day people were thinking about King David. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, one of his descendants, that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. And Peter just starts proclaiming the resurrection, proclaiming the gospel through what people were having on their minds, King David. And he makes that connection. And, you know, making a connection is so important. Um, We're not Jesus or the apostles, but we we try and do this in our ministry. Um, Always, what are people thinking of? If you go to the downtown areas, um, you discover that uh, people are uh, getting a lot of literature and they don't always like it. So we have a track called Beware of Religious Fanatics Handing Out Pamphlets. Or if you go to Union Square in San Francisco where you can find uh, uh, Macy's and and Needless Markup and uh, uh, other stores like that, Um, we can hand out Shop Till You Drop and engage people about the gospel. This summer at the Pan uh, Pan Am Games in Toronto, we might be handing out I Thought I Was an Olympic Superstar. And all um, all this literature is designed to sort of introduce the gospel, make a connection, and get us into a conversation with people. See? And that's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did uh, all the time, always making that connection. Um, The application to us here is is that, you know, Pentecost was a great day for proclaiming the gospel and for making connections. Um, I don't know who God has in your life, but I just want to encourage you that as you meet people and get to know them and get to understand what's on their minds and what's on their hearts, you'll be in a position to share your faith, to share the gospel in a way that makes sense with those people that you meet. That's the biblical way. Make that bridge, that segue. The, uh, the guy who shared the gospel with me, uh, Dan, uh, and I came to faith, as I shared with you. I was about 18 or 19 years old. And uh, he, he didn't have any special knowledge of Judaism. Um, he didn't even have all the answers to all my questions. But uh, he looked them up if he could. He prayed for me. He was a friend. He led me to faith. And we read in, uh, in Acts that due to the pre- preaching of the apostles, tuned into where the people were at because of their preaching, 3,000 came to believe on one day. 5,000 came to believe on another day. I haven't seen 3,000 come to believe because I've shared my faith. Uh, That was an extraordinary move of the Spirit. But God can use you uh, in ways that match how you speak to people, in your temperament, and He can use you to, uh, to reach others with the gospel. 
there is a connection there with the, uh, the Pentecost holiday. Because that was the, we see, we usually think of that as the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not really hitting that up hard today. I'm hitting it up from a different angle. Because on Pentecost also was that opportunity to reach millions of people who just happened to be there worshiping. And God, the Father, and the Apostles, through the Spirit, reached out and God worked. Next slide, please. Pentecost also tells us not just of our past, doesn't just give us encouragement for what we can be doing now, but it especially speaks to us of our future that lies ahead in our Christian lives. And, you know, God's promises never fail. The whole Bible is full of promises. The Gospel is a promise. The Old Testament holidays are promises. And here's where the word first fruits comes back in. Remember, back in those days, you took the first of your, your crop. And I'm not a farmer. Um, I told you I'm from New York City. Um, so those of you who might be farmers uh, can, can sort of vouch for this. But I think that the way it works is when you see the first of your crops coming in, you, you know there's more coming, there's more behind. Once the first comes in, the rest is also coming ahead. And that is the image that God uses throughout the New Testament to tell us that you know, we have a future ahead of us as Christians. The whole uh, ceremonies of bringing first fruits is a spiritual picture. Not of crops, not of olives, not of wheat, not of barley, but a picture of our future in the Lord. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, first fruits is used of Jesus' resurrection. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The resurrection of Jesus is like the first of a crop. It's the promise that we too are going to be raised from the dead one day. And now when you read that they brought first fruits in the Old Testament, think that was crops. But that's also talking about our resurrection that lies ahead because Jesus rose first. Next slide uh, tells us something else. And now here we get to the Holy Spirit himself. Not only so, Paul says in Romans, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, and as daughters. But we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. He indwells each believer now. But you know what? That is just a foretaste of something much bigger to come in our spiritual lives. Because when Jesus returns, the fullness of the working of the Spirit in our lives, individually and as a body, will be so much more than what it is right now. We have a promise ahead. Next slide. Whenever Paul saw converts coming to the Lord, he called them first fruits. He saw that, you know, hey, so-and-so has come to know the Lord. 
I can be confident that more will be coming also. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that a wonderfully a spiritual and courageous approach to evangelism? Likewise, Paul says, greet the church that is in so-and-so's house and salute my well-beloved Eponidas. You have to love these names in the New Testament. Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ, the first to come. And again, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it's the first fruits of Achaia. First converts with more to come. And finally, we have a verse from James on the next slide. James says, <coughs> excuse me, James says that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That's heavy. James is saying that Bethany Church and the churches in Fresno, all the American churches, all the churches around the world, are just the first of something greater God is going to do in touching this universe with his redemption. Maybe the best illustration um, is, you know, people used to give this illustration from World War II that when the, um, the troops landed at Normandy, D-Day, that was the beachhead that enabled the war to be won. The church is God's beachhead in this world to transform the communities and the lives of those around us. It's funny and very interesting. He doesn't say you're the first fruits on the days you feel like it. Um, I think most of us would not feel like a beachhead into the redemption of the rest of the world on many days. But God says by our presence here, by our worshiping, by our word of testimony, by the changes God has wrought in our lives, by the difference in the way the church lives from the world, we're the first fruits, that beachhead, into the redemption of this whole universe. And that is a wonderful thing. That is an absolutely wonderful thing. So Pentecost, Pentecost comes to teach us that we've been on a journey that at least one thing we can be doing where we are right now is to reach out to others with the gospel. And that our journey is not really complete because we have a great future ahead of us. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to see the fullness of the Spirit. We are going to see others coming to the Lord. Most Jewish people who still celebrate the Feast of Weeks don't look at it this way. Um, that's because most of them don't believe in Jesus. I told you earlier that, you know, most Jewish people were raised to say no to Jesus. But I just want to take a couple of moments and share with you how the reality that we're seeing through Pentecost, how that's becoming real in the lives of many Jewish people around the world. Even though we say no to Jesus, God is working and more and more are coming to faith in him. As a ministry, Jews for Jesus is out there to evangelize. Our mission statement is to make the Messiahship of Jesus an unavoidable issue to our Jewish people worldwide. And one thing we're really known for is getting out there publicly, visibly, and challenging our people that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, you need to believe in him. 
He is for Jews as well as for non-Jews. 